You're going to need a Bible. Uh, we are going to walk through a pretty fair amount of Scripture here tonight. And I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 14, or 13 rather. And I'm going to start in verse, thir- or verse 14, Mark chapter 13 and verse 14. And uh, we'll read there, the Bible says, But when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. And let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. And pray ye that your flight not be or be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. And then if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. And so I'm gonna spend tonight uh, talking to you about uh, the great uh, tribulation. And uh, so let's start there with that. And um, the Bible in this, I want to just kind of review and rehearse some of what we went through uh, here uh, last the last couple of nights through the first part of Mark 13. And uh, we talked about the destruction of the temple uh, in verses 1 through 4. And then in verses 5 and 6, we talked about the deception of many. And then in verses 7 and 8, we saw the devastation of the world. And then in verses 9 through 13a, uh, the distress of the persecuted. And then the last half of verse 13, we saw uh, the deliverance of believers. And so just a way to get that to lodge in your mind, uh, if you can think with those that there is destruction and deception and devastation and distress and deliverance, and uh, I will say that whenever I was a younger preacher, I used to uh, sort of poke fun a little bit at uh, whenever people would alliterate uh, texts like that, but as I've gotten older, I realize that sometimes that using words like that helps us to understand uh, what Scripture is about. And so whenever we look at this particular passage of Scripture, uh, we, we know that this has been called the Olivet Discourse. And uh, when you look at uh, that, it is again the last message that the Lord uh, would give to his disciples prior uh, to his crucifixion. I mentioned last night, maybe even Monday night, uh, that this response of the Lord literally came uh, because they asked a question. And when they asked that question, 
uh, of the Lord. It was his longest response of any question that you find in the Gospels. And so if you look at the questions that, that people ask the Lord, this question that his disciples asked, uh, it was a part where that they, um, that, that again, that the Lord began to elaborate uh, on that. And so a lot of what we're talking about here tonight, the title of this uh, lesson is talking about the great tribulation. And uh, when you look at the great tribulation, it is dealt with, uh, when you look in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter six, all the way through chapter 16, and it's dealt with uh, in much greater detail. And so whenever you look uh, at the great tribulation, there is that part where uh, that there will be the wrath of God that will be poured out on the world uh, and, and it will be the full measure of the wrath of God poured out uh, during that period of time. And when you start looking at some of the things that will take place there in first or Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse seven, we find out that there will be evil without restraint uh, during that period of time. And, uh, and I would like for us to turn over uh, to the book of Revelation for just a moment. I wanna point out uh, some things to you about the chapters there. Look in Revelation chapter seven, and, and when you look at that, here is what you understand uh, that's taken place there. There are some things where, uh, look down to verse four, Revelation chapter seven, and verse four, the Bible says, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an 144,000 of the Jews of the children of Israel. And so when you look at that, uh, there again is a <coughs> response of the uh, those disciples there that they are, um, that there are literally 144,000 um, uh, uh, evangelists that are going uh, throughout the world during that period of time. Now, I want you to, to look over with me uh, to verse or to chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9. And here is what takes place in Revelation chapter 9. The Bible says there, and the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now look at what takes place there in verse three. Uh, he says, and there came out of the smoke locust upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And so basically what is taking place here in Revelation chapter nine is that there are demons that are just being loosed uh, to run throughout the world, and we'll get to a little bit more uh, of a description to that here uh, in just a moment. And then turn over just a page or so uh, to Revelation chapter 11. And the Bible says that during that period of time, 
uh, that there are going to be two witnesses. Look in verse three there. The Bible says, I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. And these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. That is an Old Testament prophecy uh, that you find in Zechariah chapter four, uh, verses 11 through 14, and Malachi chapter four, verses five and six. And the Bible says in Revelation 11, five, and if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And these have the power to shut uh, heaven and that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now we don't know uh, who these two witnesses are. Uh, there is a speculation that, that most uh, believe that it will be one of three or be two of three men. Uh, most of them feel that it will either be Moses and Elijah or it will be uh, a combination of Elijah and Enoch or maybe even Moses and Enoch. And, and uh, we do not know who they are, but we do know uh, that these men will preach. And yet here is what's gonna take place. Look in verse seven. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And you look in that single verse there and you realize that again, that there is a battle that is going on against holiness and righteousness and the truth of God. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three, where in the garden that the serpent uh, deceived Adam and Eve. And so this ongoing spiritual conflict is still taking place. And yet uh, this, this uh, power, the, the devil, uh, that comes out of that will kill them and look in verse eight and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt where also our Lord was crucified. Now think with me for just a moment. The Bible says that, uh, let's think about where this is taking place. This is taking place geographically is taking place in the city of Jerusalem. But notice what uh, John points out as he's writing down this. He said that spiritually it's called Sodom and Egypt. And if you know anything about scripture, you're aware uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah was a place where uh, that homosexuality was exalted and it, that's one of the types that's in scripture. And then also Egypt is a type of the world. And so we see that these end time spirits, that these witnesses are battling against uh, will be homosexuality and worldliness. And I believe that, uh, that those are, are very much at play uh, in our world today. And the Bible tells us that whenever these two witnesses are killed, whenever they try to shut down the voices of these preachers, um, and when they finally do are, are killed, that, that it's almost like that there's a holiday that takes place. Look in verse 10. 
It says, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And then after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them and, and so on and so forth throughout the rest of the chapter and I won't continue uh, to go into that but, but you look at what's taken place during this period of tribulation uh, that, that is taking place. Now, when we look at this passage in Mark 13 verses 14 uh, through 23, again, you are able to see some things here and I want to kind of point out in the first half of verse 14, if you are there back to Mark chapter 13, look uh, with me to verse 14. The Bible says, but when ye shall see the des when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not let him that readeth understand now here's what's going to what we see in this verse that there is what is going to be called the perversion uh, of the antichrist and and again we go back to what we started with uh, very early on that Jesus told his disciples. He said, it is crucial for you not to be deceived in the end time. And again, that is a very much a part that we have to key in uh, to our lives because everything the enemy does he works with this matter of deception. He worked with deception in Genesis 3 and when the serpent deceived Eve. There was that part. Paul even comes out uh, to the church at Galatia and he writes to them. He tells them, he uses a couple of words. He uses the word beguiled and he also uses the word bewitched and he's talking about the fact about how that they have been pulled away from the true apostolic message. And, and again, it's important for us to understand that that same manner of deception is going to take place in our, in our time uh, just as well. And so it is that here is what's gonna take place. Jesus said that when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. So that means right there, Paul, what, what the Bible is saying is that the whole world is going to embrace the direction of this man. And, and again, the, the global problems that we are facing now, uh, it would be very easy, at least in my thoughts, that if there was someone uh, that came along with a solution to our present problem at this very moment, that there would be a lot of people that would embrace him. And so again, uh, I just wanna say this, and this again, just my thoughts, uh, not speaking for anybody else, but I think that we would be very foolish uh, to ignore what's taking place in our world, that there are warning lights that are flashing on the dashboard and that the Lord is doing his best to awaken a church to say that we are near uh, the coming of the Lord. And so when you look at this matter, that, that there is this ruler that is going to come uh, to this uh, this place. Here is what we find out. And I, we read 
uh, parts of this, I believe, last night. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, here is what Paul does. Paul gives a description of what takes place. And then when you look to John's writings uh, in the book of Revelation, John is recording his actions. So turn back uh, with me for a moment and let's look in Revelation chapter 13. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, and I would like to start in verse four. Revelation chapter 13 and verse four. The Bible says there, and they worship the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months. That's three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. And so again, we see the actions, and John records the actions. I want to repeat uh, that to you again. Revelation chapter 13, verses 4 through 9, John is recording his actions. Paul, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, there is a description of what is taking place. But now let's turn back and look with me in Mark chapter 13, and I want to take this phrase here uh, that Jesus says, look in verse 14, he said, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And so what the Lord is doing is the Lord is reaching back uh, into the Old Testament, and he is uh, looking at some things that is going to take place that this, this Antichrist is going to take care of. Now let's turn back uh, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter seven, and I would like to start uh, there and uh, Re Revelation or Daniel chapter seven, and I wanna walk through some things here that's gonna help us to see some characteristics of uh, the work of the Antichrist. Now again, just for personal Bible study, what I'm uh, wanting to do is I wanna kinda widen out uh, a way where that when you look through scripture that what you do is you find cross references to what uh, the Lord is talking about. That means that you're pulling uh, from the Old Testament, you're pulling, uh, we've looked in the book of Revelation, we've looked in the epistles, and whenever you look at, at the Bible just purely from a standpoint that you're studying scripture, it's always good to widen out and, and to look at what is taking place from the manner of cross-referencing. And if you're uh, not familiar with that, I want to uh, just kind of recommend uh, to you a book. And uh, it's a excellent tool that, that I really have uh, relied on for a lot over the years. I, I first remember Brother Kelsey Griffin uh, talking about it whenever I was in Bible college, but it's called The Treasury 
of scripture knowledge and it is probably the mother load of all cross references that you can find uh, where that scripture is cross referenced. So when we look at one particular subject, what we do is we pull from a variety of places that helps us to sharpen our focus to be able to see. So look there in Daniel chapter seven, look in verse eight. Here is what the Bible says. It says, I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man and a mouth speaking great things. And so notice there what Daniel describes him. The Antichrist is called the little horn. Now when we read just a few minutes ago in Revelation 13, this little horn, the the Antichrist is going to come alive and is going to work. Now I wanna look at some of the words there. You see that word? It says that his eyes were like the eyes of a man. What, What is that speaking of? That is speaking of the intelligence of this man. And, and here is what we also find out. So we find that, that he is an, in, an intelligent man, but look at what else it says. It says it is a mouth speaking great things. So we find out that not only is he an intelligent man, but he is, a, he is an orator. And both of those two qualities or characteristics that you are going to see that Daniel describes is going to be able to help us to understand that he's gonna use his intelligence and he's gonna use his ability to be a speech maker to corrupt the entire world. Now, look on with me to verse 15. Daniel chapter seven and verse 15. Notice what Daniel says. Daniel says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. Here's what I wanna point out. The revelation of God can be very distressing to a true man or true woman or true saint of God. And whenever you start looking at what is taking place in our world. I believe that we're gonna have that same manner that we will be like Daniel in the end times, that there will be things that we see that are going to trouble us. And I I would even believe that the Lord is going to speak supernaturally to people through dreams and visions, and he is going to be able to talk uh, to people in a way that what the Lord shows them is going to really trouble them. Skip down to verse 21, Daniel chapter seven. He said, I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now, here's what Daniel says. Now, I like the way that it's added in. Verse 22 says, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given to the saints of the most high and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Now, now that's where that you ought to realize that ultimately in the end, everything is going to turn out exactly the way that the Lord has planned it because the ancient of days, we know that. Uh, literally is, is Jehovah in the old or Jesus in the new. And so the ancient of days came and there was an ability that he had to overcome with power. Now let's look down to verse 23. 
The Bible says there, and I'm just gonna read that last phrase in that verse. It says, shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break in pieces. If you write in the margins of your Bible, here is another characteristic of the Antichrist. He is gonna be one that is given to military prowess. Look down to verse 25. The Bible says, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So here's what, he, here's what we understand about him uh, is that he is going to be one that is blas- that speaks blasphemy uh, against the Lord. He's gonna speak those words against him and there is gonna be a challenge for those saints. Now, uh, look there as well. Not, not only will that be the part, but uh, he will and think to change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of times. That again is a three and a half year period, which is important for us to understand because when you look overall at the time of the tribulation, it's a seven year time frame and the Bible speaks to us about how that that seven year window is going to be broken up into three and a half years. Uh, Now, let's turn over just a few, a page or so and look in chapter eight and look with me in verse 23. The Bible says in Daniel chapter eight, verse 23, and in the latter time of the kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. So he has a fierce countenance. He's gonna be intimidating. He's gonna understand dark sentences. And so you can look at that in a couple of ways. He is gonna be skilled in intrigue. There are some, uh, and I would say this, that it's literally embodiment of evil, that he is gonna be skilled in the occult and is going to be able to work in that because again, all of this is playing toward a matter of deception. And then look down to verse 25, the Bible Uh, says there and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes but he shall be broken without hand which tells us that he is not gonna be destroyed by a human being but he is going to be destroyed or rather corralled in and reigned and put into, um, into a place of eternal torment by the, the hand of the Lord. Uh, so again, and, and you remember that phrase that we read in Mark 13 where it talked about Jesus reaching back and he said the things that Daniel had spoken, these are the things that Daniel was speaking of. Look to chapter 10 in Daniel, Daniel chapter 10 and look with me to verse 12. The Bible says there, then he said unto me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set your heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 
one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now, I'm only reading that to help you again to understand that there is an invisible war that is going on above our heads. And Daniel fasting and praying during this particular time, this 21-day time, frame that was taking place and what Daniel understood was this, was to gain insight and wisdom uh, from the Lord, that, that he gave himself to prayer and fasting and yet the answer that came to him was impeded by the prince of Persia. Uh, you can also look down to verse 20 there and it, the Bible says, then said he, knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee and now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia or Greece shall come. Now again, I, I don't want to chase uh, a rabbit trail on this, but you would look at this verse and this uh, passage in Daniel chapter 10 and, and it interjects into us this thought that there are territorial spirits uh, that are over geo, uh, that are over geographical regions that we all have to battle with according to our location. It's very clear to me that if that was going on in the time of Daniel, it is going on even in our day as well, and it is imperative for us as an apostolic church that we are prepared and that we give ourselves to a sense of prayer, that we pray with authority, that not only that, that I would say that our prayers are gonna be strengthened with a consecration to fasting, which is what Daniel uh, did, but also this matter of holiness. Uh, again, I cannot tell you how important it is for a modern day apostolic church to be set apart from this world because that sense of holiness, and you look back to the Old Testament where that there were uh, the priests that before that they would go in to minister before the Lord, that there was a preparation process that was taking place in their lives. It is important for us church to realize and to understand our need for holiness and spiritual cleanliness that, that whatever we do, that we have to keep in mind what Isaiah said, and that's this, that they that bear the vessels of the Lord, that they must have clean hands. And so it's important for us to do that. Now, let's go back again, and, and let's look back to Mark chapter 13, and let's turn back there because I want to point out uh, some more things. I hope, we're, I hope I'm not boring you with what's taking place here, but look again uh, to Mark chapter 13, and I want to point out what else Jesus has to say. Notice uh, what he says. He says, you're gonna see the abomination uh, of desolation. The, the word abomination in itself uh, gives to us a very negative connotation. Whenever you start looking in scripture and start understanding that there are things that are related that the Lord would say that these are a matter of abomination. Those words, that word there indicates that it's something that is foul. It's something that is detestable. It's immoral. It's blasphemous. It's abhorrent to God. 
And uh, there are uh, those matters where that when you start looking throughout the Bible, there are descriptions that are given to us about what an abomination is. Luke chapter 18, verses 22 through 29, and then in 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 24, the Bible indicates that, a, that, that homosexuality and bestiality is an abomination. Deuteronomy chapter 2 or 22 and verse 5, the blurring of gender distinction by the wearing of apparel. Uh, again, it is an abomination that, that women are not to wear men's clothing and men are not to wear uh, women's clothing and God does not bless the blurring of the genders. And then in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses five through eight, an abomination is the idolatry and child sacrifice that took place on those altars. Second Kings chapter 16 and verse three, it again condemns child sacrifice. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse one, uh, there is the indication of false balances or dishonesty in business gains. And, and again, the Lord's word says that that is an abomination, but, but it even homes in. You say, oh, those are big ticket things, but, but listen to this. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22, a mouth that tells lies is an abomination uh, to the Lord. Proverbs 15 verses eight and nine, the sacrifices of the wicked conveys the meaning of false or hypocritical worship. And then Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 23, the Bible says there, divers weights and false balances, again, pointing to false business prophets, that those are an abomination to the Lord. And then in Jeremiah 16 and 18, just the general defilement of the nation, that we find those again are an abomination. Now you say, well, why would I bring that to your attention here in this Bible study? Is because again, I wanna reiterate what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And he said this, he talked about the fact, in fact, why don't we turn over there uh, for just a moment. This is one of the most chilling passages uh, in the scriptures. Um, uh, Matthew chapter seven, and I would like for you uh, to look with me to verse 21. Matthew chapter seven and verse 21. The Bible says there, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me that ye, ye that work iniquity. And again, I wanna do everything I can. It is incumbent on every one of us to understand that this matter of salvation and being filled uh, with the Spirit is the most precious possession that you have in your life. There is going to be, uh, it's gonna preserve your soul. And we have to realize that again, as Jesus said, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount that there is a narrow, narrow way 
that that people have to go to. And again, uh, he said that there's a broad, wide road. I. I just want to again preach to you, talk to you, whatever you want to call it, teach to you. It is crucial for us to understand that we have to make sure uh, that we are living a life. And you say, oh my goodness, you're, you're, you're calling for such a, a rigid lifestyle and you're calling for legalism. I, I, would, just, I would just say that uh, that, that, it, that argument or that debate is, is literally folly to me that whenever we are standing before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, whether it's at the Bema seat or whether it is at the white throne of judgment, which I don't want to be at the white throne, I want to be at the Bema seat, that everything in our lives has to be harnessed up with holiness. And so whenever, now, there are critics of the Bible that would come along and they will say, well, what about all these other abominations that uh, is dealt with in, uh, in, the, in some of them are in Leviticus, others are in the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what you have to understand, that there are three branches uh, of the Old Testament law. There is the moral branch of the law, there's the ceremonial branch of the law, and then there is the civil matter of the law. There's still a sense where that the morality of our lives is dependent on that law. Obviously, the Lord did away with that matter of the ceremonial law, so we don't have to observe uh, the things that they did in the Old Testament about bringing our sacrifices and and various other dietary practices uh, that we have to bring into our lives because we have been relieved of that. But the moral aspect of the law is what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying that in that part that the abomination that this man represents and the abomination in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 17, verses four and five, Babylon, uh, that kingdom that you find uh, started literally by Nimrod, that that it is going to continue through uh, at that point. And Jesus was telling us He was saying, I want you to understand uh, that this man of sin, this son of perdition, uh, this abomination of desolation that is gonna stand uh, there in the temple, that it is important that you recognize who he is and what he is about. Now, if you look back in history, in around about the time from 175 to 165 B.C., there was a man that was named, uh, he was a king, and his name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, he was a very brutal, cruel king. And during that period of time, he, he managed uh, to come in and, and to rule Israel uh, for a certain period of time. He, he committed great abominations in the temple. You can read about that. He offered up a pig uh, as a sacrifice on the altar there. And he also put an idol of Zeus up in uh, that building. He was responsible for killing uh, a lot of Jews and another large group he held in in slavery. He was guilty of the abomination of desolation, but when Jesus comes along in the Olivet Discourse, here's what Jesus is saying. Uh, This man was already dead. Antiochus Epiphanes had already died. 
Jesus was looking forward and was saying, I want you to understand that the words that I'm speaking in Mark 13, in Matthew 24, 25, and in Luke 21, he's warning them that there's going to be another that is going to come to sit there in the temple. And again, one of the goals of the Antichrist is to work with a sense of deception so that he can desecrate the temple. And so we look and you say, well, there's not a temple there that's being built or there's not a temple that's present uh, right now currently in uh, Jerusalem. I'm telling you, we're in the end times and as this thing unfolds, we literally are going to see that take place and uh, you realize how quickly that things change overnight in our world and it's important for us not to be rocked to sleep and to say that, that even after what we're experiencing right now with the global pandemic that once it uh, sort of subsides and gets under control, uh, it is crucial for us not to go back to sleep and say, well, it's just business as usual. And see there, there were a lot of men that overstepped uh, their bounds and, and they got emotional about it and all that sort. Again, we have to remember what Jesus said, that we do not need to be deceived uh, during the last days. And so there's an ongoing spirit uh, with that foul antichrist spirit and, and one of the ways that we overcome that is every truth-preaching, truth-loving, and sound doctrinal church, they are the ones that need to be in this generation. It doesn't matter how old-fashioned that they may seem. It doesn't matter how out of step with society uh, that they may seem. Understand this that if we are true disciples that have been born again uh, and that we have been washed in the blood and that our lives have been transformed, we are going to stand out like a sore thumb in this world. Again, I remind you that Paul said, Peter said, that we're strangers and we're aliens. This world is not our home. And so Jesus again, speaking again of this person, He's gonna set up a throne on the rebuilt temple. Uh, he's gonna pretend to be a, a peacemaker and he's gonna turn against Israel. He's gonna pour out his vengeance on the Jews for three and a half years. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 11 and verse two. And then in Revelation chapter 12 and verse one, he's gonna make war with the believers. We read about that in the book of Daniel and also in Revelation 13 and seven. He's gonna blaspheme God. We read about that in Daniel. Also in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 4 and Revelation 13 and 5. Here is a crucial part that the apostolic church needs to understand. And I want you to turn because I want you to see this with your own eyes. I want you to turn with me for a moment to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and let's look in verse 9. Here is what the Bible says. It says, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. 
And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And it's important for us to realize as a modern day apostolic church, does God still heal? Absolutely. There are witnesses to that even in this local congregation that, that Brother Patterson and I are honored to pastor. There, there have been things that have taken place in our church where the Lord has moved. He's even moved miraculously in other situations where that we felt like that there was no other way for the Lord to intervene and the Lord worked for that. But at the same time, it is important for us not to get so caught up with the idea of miracle signs and wonders because it can be an avenue or a doorway for us to trip and to fall. I remind you of what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul said that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, and the first reason that he lists for scripture, it is for doctrine or for teaching. The word of God is not for us to clamor about and say that we need inspiration, we need encouragement, we need all those sorts of things. That's not what the word of God ultimately is for. The word of God is to point us in a direction for doctrine so that we know the identity of God, that we know him as that there is just one God and that he robed himself in flesh as Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, and then he was resurrected from that grave, giving us the hope that we need for our eternal salvation. It is crucial for us to get that locked in to our spirit so that whenever deception comes, that all of these so-called things that are gonna take place with the Antichrist, that people are not gonna follow him in droves and in masses. And yet, the Bible indicates to us that the Antichrist is gonna do exactly that same thing. And so the Antichrist then is gonna work in tandem. The Bible tells us in Revelation 13, uh, verses 11 through 15 that he's gonna empower a false prophet and that false prophet is gonna work in tandem uh, with him at that particular time. But there's another phrase that I want to look at. Let's look in Mark 13 again and notice there in verse 14. The Bible says, you see a parenthetical statement there. The Bible says in Mark 13 and 14, it said, let him that readeth understand. What, what does that mean? That means that Jesus was having great foresight because he was stating clearly that this was not going to take place to those people who were listening to him at that point. He was saying that there would be those that would read the scriptures later after the apostles were dead. Now I mentioned, uh, I believe it was last night or maybe the night before about a doctrine or a, an idea about the idea of preterism which believes that the Olivet Discourse and the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. But this simple parenthetical statement, again, if we will let the Bible speak for itself, 
that these parenthetical statements that are added in by the inspiration by men who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that that parenthetical statement is there for a reason and Jesus was saying I want you to know this that uh, that that after you're dead and gone that there will be people that are going to read what Mark has written. John Mark is the writer of the Gospels and, and uh, he got, uh, he worked in tandem with Peter as he wrote uh, that Gospel there and yet, what was Jesus saying? He was telling his disciples. He was saying, look, he said, after you're dead and gone, and we know that John was in the midst of that. John would die somewhere in the late 90s, which would be 60 years or so after Jesus had spoken these words. And so we are clear in understanding that preterism as a doctrine or an idea has, it does not hold water. What you read about in Mark 13 is future. It is to take place literally at a future time. And so take that to heart and don't let people pull you off and say, well, that has already been fulfilled whenever Titus came in and destroyed the temple back uh, in 70 AD because there was not a man of sin like Jesus described that had power over the entire earth. Now, let's move on to the next part in Mark chapter 13 and look in verse 14. Here is what uh, the Bible says, or let's look in, in uh, 14b. Uh, it says that then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains and let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back again for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days and pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. Now here's what the Lord is gonna deal with in that part. He deals with, first of all, the perverse of the Antichrist and now he's gonna deal with the panic of those people. The Lord tells them, he said, you're gonna have to flee to the mountains. That's gonna be your only hope. You're gonna have to run and flee to get out of that place. And so those in Jerusalem and Judea are those that are going to be attacked first. Now do you see that word there in, uh, in the last part, 14b there? It says, then let them that be in Judea flee uh, to the mountains. The word there is, is, is the Greek word uh, fugo, which we get our word fugitive from. It's, so it's like that it is a fugitive that is fleeing. And the Lord is saying, I want you to run, literally, uh, extra biblical literature gives it this connotation that, that you would flee from it like you would run uh, from, from a snake, that you flee, you run away uh, from those particular things. And, and uh, again, it's, it's like, okay, you're running, you're fleeing, you're running just as fast as you can to get away from, uh, in our area, it's uh, rattlesnakes and, and water moccasins and, and all that. Now you think about the fear that comes to you whenever you are uh, in a place and you run across a, a snake, a viper, a pit viper, and you start fleeing and running away. That's what the Lord is saying. But, but I want to also 
Chase a little rabbit trail here for a moment. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter six. He said, but thou, O man of God, you flee these things. What was he talking about? That's in 1 Timothy chapter six and around about verse 10 or 11 or so. And he's saying, you flee these things. What was he talking about in the preceding 10 verses? Again, he was talking about that matter of money. Remember, he says in 1 Timothy 6, the love of money is the root of all evil and talks about what a detriment it is for those that pursue it. And then he says, Timothy, he said, what I want you to do is I want you to flee from those things. And uh, just as a, a pointer there, what he describes, there's some things that describes a man of God in those verses. First Timothy chapter six, verses 11 and 12. He says, you flee these things, you follow after these things, and then you fight for eternal life, or lay hold on eternal life. So here's what we understand about a true man of God. A man of God is marked by what he flees from, what he follows after, and what he fights for. And Jesus uses that word flee, and Paul would use that. He was saying you run away. And so these people that begin to flee, we discover that that many of them are not gonna be successful whenever they start running away. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, let's turn back in the Old Testament uh, to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the minor prophets. I want you to look uh, with me in Zechariah chapter 13. In Zechariah chapter 13, um, I know that may not be a book that you go to normally, but you find, uh, find that page right there between the Old and the New Testament, and then the last book is Malachi, and then the book right before that is the book of Zechariah. And Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, is writing uh, in verse eight. Notice what he says. He says, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried and they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say it is my people and they shall say the Lord is my God. Again, that that gives us a part to understand that this nation of Jews, of Israelites are suddenly gonna come into an understanding of who their God is. It literally, the first time the Messiah came, they missed him. But now at this moment, under great pressure of the Antichrist, Zechariah tells us uh, that, that two-thirds of them are not, gonna be, are not gonna make it, but a third of them are going to respond and they're gonna call on the name of the Lord. And so it is that whenever this starts taking place, what was Jesus saying? He was saying, I want you that are on the housetop, uh, you need to flee. Those that are in the field, those that are working at a job, they need to flee. The housetop speaks to normal uh, home life of everyday uh, living. The field speaks to those that are working on a job. And then the pregnant, those that are about to bring new life into the world. All of these descriptions the Lord was using to say, listen, the tribulation is going to impact and it's going to affect every one of those. 
And so it is that the Lord uses that sense of urgency about his message and begins to say, you have got to have some desperation in your relationship with the Lord. Um, I have, have read a book, the church here in, in Dothan knows that I make reference fairly routinely uh, to the story uh, that John Bunyan wrote, The Pilgrim's Progress. And one of those things that, that Bunyan does in that is he takes that scripture from Matthew where that the Lord says that we are to flee from the wrath uh, to come. And, and what he is saying, he's saying that, that evangelist is pleading uh, with this man, flee uh, from the city of destruction, flee from the world that tries to get its hold on you. Look through your spiritual eyes and hear with your spiritual ears. And if ever there needed to be a generation of pleading preachers and pleading prayers and pleading saints and pleading churches, don't go to the house, flee. Don't try to take anything with you. Uh, get out of the field and get on the road. Pray that their flight is not going to be complicated by bad weather. That ought to be in our hearts in this time right now. And I'm reaching for every backslider, every lukewarm child that, that somehow has drifted away from your relationship with God. I'm pleading with you to look at what's taking place in your world right now and let your spiritual eyes see something and your spiritual ears hear something. This life is, as James says in James chapter four and verse 14, this life is but a vapor and it passes by so rapidly. Now, let's move on to the last part and that is in Mark 13 verses 19 through verses uh, 23, where the Bible says, but in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation which God created unto this time, neither shall be. And except the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved, but for the elect's sake whom he had chosen, he had shortened the days. And when there and then, if any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall so show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But you take heed, and behold, I have foretold you all these things. And so the last part that I would point out to you in uh, that verse is for us to understand that there is going to be some protection uh, from God. At no point in history, even to that of the flood, has there been such devastation like has taken place uh, in that, that, that time frame. The judgments and the wrath of God that falls on this earth from Revelation chapter six and verse 16. And uh, again, I, I just want to point out to you that there will be a great earthquake that will devastate the earth. In uh, Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. And there's going to be hail and fire that's going to consume one third of the earth's vegetation. Imagine that. 
And you get that in your mind right now, that hail and fire are gonna consume one third of the earth's devastation. A third of the ocean is gonna be turned into blood, Revelation 8, verses eight and nine. A third of the fresh water is gonna be poison, Revelation 8, verses 10 and 11. In verse eight, or chapter eight and verse 12, a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars are gonna be darkened. We read just a few minutes ago, Revelation chapter nine, demons are gonna be released from the abyss. Who are they and what are they doing? Jude makes reference of that. In Jude six, the Bible says, and the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So uh, most theologians feel like that that's pointing to Genesis chapter six, the sons of God, the daughters of men, uh, that you look at the work of the Nephilim and about how, how crude and how that these were the worst of the worst and yet they're gonna be turned loose on uh, this earth here. And then a third of the per earth's population is gonna be killed. That's in Revelation 9, verses 13 through 21. There's gonna be a great earthquake that's gonna kill thousands of people in 11 and 13. Incurable sores are gonna cause great pain. Revelation 16 and two. The entire sea will turn to blood and sea life are going to die in Revelation 16 and three. The rivers are gonna turn to blood, 16 and four. The earth will experience extreme heat, Revelation 16, eight and nine. Great darkness is gonna engulf the world, Revelation 16. Verses 10 and 11, the Euphrates River is going to dry up, 16, 12. A final global earthquake is gonna cause massive changes to the earth's appearance in Revelation 16 and verses 17 through 21. The world has never seen the cataclysmic events that's gonna take place to this point at that time and the Lord said that unless he had stopped them that there would be no survivors whatsoever but here is a common theme that runs all through scripture and that's this and now it comes from the Lord as I want you to take heed don't be deceived if I was able to save Noah if I was even able to save Lot if I was even able to get the children of Israel out of the uh, the, the nation of Egypt, if the Lord was able to deliver uh, by the work of Esther, then hear me, the Lord is gonna be able to deliver uh, us as the church. Now I know there's a lot of, of, of speculation and argument that goes on in our day about whether there's a, a pre-trib, a post-trib, or a mid-trib rapture, or whether there's gonna be a pre-wrath rapture and so forth. And, and here is what I want you to understand and know that regardless of what your position is, that you have to understand this, that the same Holy Ghost and the same spirit that you have now, that if the church does have to endure the tribulation, that same spirit that is in us now is gonna be able to take us through 
every bit of the troubles and the difficulties. And I would just tell you straightforward that, that for those of, of, the, of the critics of a, of a pre-trib rapture or mid-trib or whatever you want to hold to that position, here is what you're doing. Whenever you emotionally take up that fight, what you're doing is you're minimizing the power of the Holy Ghost that says this, that no matter what we have to endure, whether it's a pandemic, whether it is a, a, a economic crisis, that the spirit of God that's on the inside of every true believer, the elect, that it's gonna be able to take us through. And what's crucial for us is for us to take heed that we are not deceived and that we endure to the end. Now let me conclude here, and I hope again that, that you have uh, gotten something out uh, of this Bible study. Y'all have to forgive me. I, I probably should have gotten down in front of the podium, the lectern here tonight because when I get behind a pulpit, I feel like I have to yell. Um, and so forgive me for yelling at you tonight, but um, again, I, I, I love the word of the Lord and I want you to get it in your heart and in your spirit, but listen to this and I'm gonna conclude uh, with this here tonight. We have to believe that there is a reward waiting on the faithful uh, at the end. And the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter four, verses seven and eight, I have fought a good fight. This is what Paul said. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And then here's what he adds in for us. He says, and not for me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. That, that's to me, that's to you, whether you're in Dothan, Alabama, whether you're in Houston County, whether you're in the state of Alabama, or I, I've even had some friends of mine that pastors around uh, the country, men that I have come to, to respect and admire, Brother Wayne Naylor in, in uh, Danville, Kentucky, Brother Tony Mancino uh, up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Brother Douglas Walker out in Ukiah, California, and there's uh, various others. Uh, Brother Jimmy Tony down in, in Gainesville that have been watching uh, some of these. And, and I just want to tell you that wherever you're at, whether you're in Florida or you're in Kentucky or you're in Pennsylvania or you're out all the way in California, that the power and the spirit of God that's inside of us is gonna be able to sustain us and to help us. I'd like to pray for you before we go uh, here tonight. Our gracious God again, I'm thankful, Lord, for your word. I'm thankful, Lord, for everybody, God, that has joined us here tonight. And I pray, God, that somehow, Lord, that your word would pierce into their hearts and into their spirits. That somehow, Jesus, that the plan that you have for your church, that, Lord, we don't ever come to the place where that we feel like that you have been caught off guard. There's no set of circumstances. There's no challenges, Lord, that it catches you off guard. You know, Lord, the, the end from the beginning. You're looking back. You know how all of this is gonna unfold. But I pray, Lord, tonight, God, that you give every one of us the faithfulness, the integrity, the endurance, Lord, that we need to do your will whatever you have called us to be, 
as disciples that you help us, Lord, to fulfill that task. I pray, Lord, tonight that you reach in, God, to our, our church family. Lord, touch their lives. Lord, be with them. I, I pray, God, against every sense of the fear and the anxiety that would be in their minds, whether it's about their jobs or their financial situation or even their health status. We know, Lord, that you've got every one of those things worked out in your life, in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that blessing on all of us here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, the Lord bless you. And a good night. We'll see you tomorrow night uh, live streaming uh, back from my study uh, at 7 o'clock. And thank you for being with us tonight.